What will you leave behind? What will be your legacy? If you had to choose, what kind of a legacy would you want to have? I want to tell you about a few people this morning, some legacies that have been left behind. Let me start with a man. His name was Jair. Jair was a leader in Israel, Jair of Gilead. And we really don't know very much about this man. All we know we find in three verses of the Old Testament. They tell us this. It's in Judges 10:3. He was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel for 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. They controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havath Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Canaan. So, we know a little bit about this man. We can just imagine that this is what his tombstone may have looked like. Jair of Gilead. Thirty sons, thirty donkeys, thirty towns. Isn't that exciting? That's pretty much it. We can sum it all up that this is what we know about this man. But, you know, it's interesting. Let's look at this a minute and see what it might be able to tell us about his life. Well, one thing, we know he had 30 sons, and I guarantee you he had more than one wife, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. (laughs) A man probably would have been proud to have had so many sons. Isn't that exciting? Great, he had all these sons. Now think about this. He had 30 sons and 30 towns. Hmm. I think there was a little bit of nepotism here in finding people jobs. I'm thinking maybe there was. He had 30 sons. He was going to make sure that they all had a really good life. So he had a town for each one of his sons, and they could be the ruler and in charge of those towns. This was good. 30 sons, 30 towns ruling those cities. I think that was a good thing. But uh, these 30 sons, we know, rode around on 30 donkeys. Well, let me tell you, back in, you know, Bible days, and actually not that long ago, having animals was a sign of wealth. I mean, it was, you know, like, how many cows do you have? That was the old dowry, you know. You had to give cows in exchange for the bride and all that stuff. We were in Egypt a number of years ago, and and as we were there, um, it was interesting because the young men in Egypt are quite fascinated by fair-haired young ladies. So our daughter, Christy, who's blonde, was getting a lot of attention from these Egyptian men. And one of the Egyptian men tapped my husband on the shoulder and he said, How many camels for your daughter? (laughs) He said, There aren't enough camels in this country for my daughter. Animals. Very, very important. But back to Jair here, you see. There was significance in the fact that he had donkeys. You know what? He had donkeys, but he didn't have horses. Now, there is significance in that. Because you see, in that day and time, if you were a warrior, a great fighter, you didn't ride around on donkeys. You rode around on horses. And the fact that each one of his sons had a donkey tells us something. 
It was a time of peace. He wasn't out making war with his neighbors. He was comfortable. They rode around on donkeys. It was a good time. And you see, it means that probably more than likely in those 22 years that Jair was the king over this area in Gilead, that he probably never did have a battle with any of his enemies. But you know, not to have a battle with your enemies around you. Think about that a minute. He did have enemies around him. He would have had enemies that would have been worshiping other gods. And yet, more than likely, Jair never ever challenged them. He probably accepted many of the practices of the world around him. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, was Jair simply too comfortable? Let's look at what the Bible says happened to his country in the very next verse. We learned about his life in three verses. This is the next verse. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. You know, I'm going to guess that it wasn't like the next day after he died that the whole country just went to pot. You know, I'm going to guess that something was happening during those 22 years while he was ruling. And unfortunately, that is probably his true legacy, is whatever was going on during those 22 years. He had created an environment that allowed this to happen. He was comfortable. He had 30 sons who had 30 towns who rode around on 30 donkeys. He enjoyed that lifestyle and he did not want to offend any of his neighbors, so he let them do whatever they wanted to do. And when he died, his tombstone revealed all the material possessions that he had gained. But his true legacy was a hollow nation. One that immediately fell apart and no longer believed in or worshipped the God who had been their creator and their sustainer. There was nothing left. Let's look at another man. Kind of a wild guy. Let's look at John the Baptist. Somebody told me after first service that they will never think of him the same again now that they saw this picture. It's an original, you know. (laughs) Never mind. Um, (laughs) This week, we actually celebrate the baptism of Jesus Christ. And it was John the Baptist. He was the one who baptized Jesus. Uh, But what about John? What was his life like? And what does his life tell us? Let's look at the scripture. We've heard some of it this morning. We're going to look at it again. This is from Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There had been a very long period of silence from God. 
the children of Israel had a lot of leaders like Jair. And eventually, they just stopped worshiping God. Oh, yeah, there were those that still followed the rules and did those things. But silence came for hundreds of years. The Jewish people, yeah, did they even believe in that Messiah anymore? We don't know. They were discouraged. They didn't have their own nation anymore. Now they were ruled by a bunch of Roman rulers, and the Romans sort of tolerated them, but things weren't very good. And all of a sudden, bursting onto the scene, comes this man, John the Baptist. Yes, wild-looking. He was not a fancy man. He wore, you know, this animal clothing, and he ate wild locusts and honey, and he was kind of a crazy kind of guy. But he was proclaiming what God told him to proclaim. He calls the people to repentance. He says, you people have not been following God. And God begins to work through this man. And many people realize they are not following God. Hundreds of people begin to come out day after day to meet this man in this river and to say, I am sorry for the fact that we have not been following God. Please forgive us. And they are baptized. John remains faithful to his calling all the way through his life. He realizes he has a very singular focus for his life. You see, he spends his entire life being the warm-up band. He never gets to be the main act. But he knows it, and he's okay with that. He knows that God has called him to do one thing, and that is to prepare the way for the one who is to come after him. And with all of his heart, John the Baptist does the job that God has called him to do. Now, eventually... John becomes beheaded for his faithfulness. You see, he had that singular focus. He was preparing the way. He was calling people to be faithful. He was calling people away from their sinful lives. And he stepped on the toes of some of the leadership when he told Herodias that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to be sleeping around with the wrong guys. You're supposed to stay in your marriage relationship. And that really made her mad. And when she had the chance, she got her revenge, and she had him beheaded. So what would his tombstone look like? You know, his legacy had nothing to do with personal possessions. But I guess possibly if it did, his tombstone might read something like this. John the Baptist, locusts and honey, camel hair, lost his head. That kind of would sum it up right there. And that doesn't sound too exciting, probably, to most of us. But you see, his legacy was something completely different from Jair's. He will always be known as a man who was faithful. A man who did exactly what God had called him to do. He prepared the way for the Messiah that was to come. He was obedient to the core, constantly preparing the way, doing what God wanted him to do, making the way straight. But... His legacy becomes so much more. We read about Jair's legacy and what happened immediately after him. Let's look a little bit more into the legacy of John the Baptist. If we look here, continuing on in Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Remember what I had mentioned in verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, what happened after Jair was an entire nation simply fell apart. But what happened after John the Baptist and his faithfulness was that Jesus came and Jesus was faithful. And Jesus came and promised the Holy Spirit. And part of that whole legacy is the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. And John already knew that this was the one. This was the one through whom the Holy Spirit was going to come. The Holy Spirit was going to be the legacy. The one who was to remain here on the earth with the true believers of Jesus Christ. And it only happened because John the Baptist and Jesus were faithful to what God called them to do. They both gave up their lives to leave the legacy that God had intended for them to leave. Why in the world was this Holy Spirit, why was it so important? The coming of the Holy Spirit to come to earth, to live here, to dwell here was something completely revolutionary. But it had been prophesied about long ago by the prophet Ezekiel. Let's look at what he has to say. This is in Ezekiel 11:19, prophesying about the future. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and will give them a heart of flesh. Now, this, folks, is really important. You see, think about it. The Jewish people had been given the Ten Commandments. Rather symbolic, those rules had been written on stone tablets. And those were good. God had planned it for good. But man has this uncanny ability to take God's good and twist it around into something different. And those stone tablets with those ten commandments from God, they eventually expanded into hundreds and hundreds of rules. And then you had people that looked out to see if you were following all of those little rules. And they watched you day by day to see if you were following the rule book. And this Christian, it wasn't Christianity, but this following of God was a set of rules and it became legalistic. And in its legalism, it created a heart of stone inside of people. Not a loving people, but a people that were critical and picky as to whether you were following all those rules just right. And God said, this is not how it's supposed to be. He says, I am going to send my Holy Spirit and I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you because this is not what I had intended. And he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit that can come and fill every corner of your being. And that Holy Spirit is going to come into your hearts and it's going to give you a live and fresh heart that is pumping for me. And he says, instead of you trying to follow a list of rules, I am going to live inside of each of one of you. And as I live inside of you, you're going to follow all those rules just because you want to. Because I will be inside of you. That was the promise. That was the legacy. That's what he wanted to send. But it could only happen through the faithfulness of people like John the Baptist and the Son of God. 
the presence of the Holy Spirit, the plan was that it would make a drastic difference in the life of believers. I like to look at Peter. Poor guy, we pick on him a lot. The disciple Peter. He hung around with Jesus for three years. They were great friends. He knew Jesus intimately. Spent all that time with him. But he had a hard time. Remember that day he went to walk on the water. He was looking at Jesus, walking on that water, but all of a sudden he got scared, looked down, whoop, he sinks. You know, just before Jesus is taken away, he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And the next thing you know, Jesus gets arrested and they say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he goes, hey, me? I don't know. I don't know the guy. And three times in a row, he denies even knowing Jesus Christ. Poor Peter. But something drastic happens. Jesus said, I have to go away. Because if I do not leave, I can't send the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. He said, I have to leave you. And Jesus ascended into heaven, told his disciples, go and wait for the one that I have promised. And they went to Jerusalem. And his disciples, men and women together, went to this upper room and prayed for days on end. Spending time waiting for God. And all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon those people. And they are dramatically transformed from the people that they had been before. And this Peter, poor Peter, he gets out there and he preaches. And 3,000 people give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ on that very day. He does more. For Jesus Christ, in those few hours following his filling of the Holy Spirit, than he had ever done in his life before that day. The Holy Spirit came and did something incredibly different. So today we are presented with two very different legacies. One, Jair. Jair was a good, decent, godly man. We don't see that he did anything blatantly wrong. A good man. A comfortable man. Just living his life. Making sure his kids all get a legacy. Riding around on their donkeys. But it was okay. Follower of God. But not really willing to be out there on the edge or to challenge anything. Then you find John the Baptist with a complete singular focus. Nothing to the left, nothing to the right, straight ahead, Jesus only. I am going to serve him with every single part of my being. We today, if we looked around this room and we were honest, we are faced with two different kinds of believers as well. Those who are comfortable in visiting church, Christianity kind of as a culture, kind of as a lifestyle, and there are those that are totally sold out to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you are on this walk, if you are on the journey with Jesus Christ, if you are spending time with him every day, he is drawing you into a deeper relationship with him. He is drawing you into a relationship that says, I want to fill you every corner, every crack of your life with my Holy Spirit. And he's wondering whether we are willing to let him do that. You see, 
Some of us are comfortable and we feel like God has blessed us just like Jair was blessed. And we have just enough of the Holy Spirit that we feel good about where we are spiritually. But God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit on you. Like He wants to take this giant bucket from heaven and just pour it on you and pour it and pour it and pour it out on you. Because He wants you to be so full. It's in one of John's epistles. He talks about how great is the love the Father has lavished on you that you would be called children of God. And that lavishing is a lavishing and pouring out of His Holy Spirit. Lavishing means giving you more than you ever need. That's what He wants to do. He wants to give you more of His Holy Spirit than you could even imagine. He wants to pour it on you until it just overflows and you are so filled with Him. Every crack, every corner. This week I was reading in my devotional from Oswald Chambers and he shared this. He said, The great mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is in the deep recesses of our being which we cannot reach. You see, sometimes we think we can commit certain things to God or, and I can bring this to Him and I can bring this to Him and that's true. We have things that we need to bring to Him. But sometimes there are places that we don't even know about where His Holy Spirit needs to reach. The psalmist David puts it this way, O Lord, You are the God of the early mornings. You are the God of the late nights. The God of the mountain peaks and the God of the sea. But my God... My soul has horizons further away than those of early mornings. Deeper darkness than the nights of earth. Higher peaks than any mountain peak. Greater depths than any sea in nature. You who are the God of all these, be my God. I cannot reach to the heights or the depths where there are motives that I cannot discover and dreams I cannot realize. My God. Search me. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to search us today. Are you living like Jair? Life's pretty good. Are you comfortable? Is that a nice place to be? Or are you willing to be like John the Baptist who has a singular focus And are you willing to say, oh God, I have not given you everything. I have not allowed the power of your Holy Spirit to come into every crevice and crack of my being. And this morning as Pastor Edgar plays and sings, I just want us to take some time. I want us and quiet here to examine our hearts. I want you to be willing to ask God whether you have been willing to give Him everything. Are you allowing His Holy Spirit to fill every part of your being? Are you wholeheartedly sold out for Jesus Christ? If His Holy Spirit were poured out upon this place, I don't think we could hold the door shut. God wants to move and do something among us. But people, we've got to tell Him, pour out your buckets from heaven and go into every crack and crevice of my life. And whatever you need to reveal to me, reveal it to me, God. And I want us to listen to Him this morning. May He speak to us. In our church, the altar is always open.
If you feel like you would like to come and pray at the altar this morning, you can always pray. Come and accept Jesus in your life. But if you need to pray about a deeper walk this morning, you can come and pray around the altar. Or you can stay in your seat. But I want us to listen this morning as the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us. Thank you.